Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. It's so good to have you along. I need 90 minutes if you'll give it to me. I've got six broadcast partners that are standing by. We're going to be talking about issues, current events happening around the world that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. We have upcoming Winky Madad. He has got a report and update on the red heifer. Should I say red heifers? Two have been born. We'll talk about that with Winky Madad. And also, it looks like the upcoming elections in Israel may have flipped over. At first, when the announcement came out of an indictment against Prime Minister Netanyahu, it looked as if he was not going to be reelected. However, that's kind of blown over, and now it seems he's coming back up in the polls. He may just win. Winky will tell us all about that. Keep the dial set. That comes up in the second half hour, and then some great discussions with the rest of my broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman is the one we go to first. We'll get to him in just a moment. I'm here in the area of Peoria, Illinois. Now, down the road just a little bit is Eureka, Illinois, and that's where I'm going to be on Sunday at the Liberty Bible Church. We want to invite you to come over. Tom Zobrist is the pastor there. He is ready to invite everybody for the one-day prophecy conference. Actually going to be two days, but on the second day, Monday, instead of the services being at night, it'll be in the daytime because they're having a pastor's conference there as well. So I'm going to be speaking at 10 and at 11 o'clock on Monday morning. Everybody is welcome. Come join with the pastors. I'm going to be speaking from the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, the last word from Jesus Christ to the church here on the earth. That's the last word before he comes back. And then I'm going to have a Middle East news update and a Q&A in the second half hour. Be a great time together, all at Liberty Bible Church. Come along and join us, if you will. It's in Eureka, Illinois. We look forward to seeing you there. That's WPEO Country. We're still in the vicinity where WPEO Radio reaches out across this entire region. Well, that's where we're being heard, Ken. Ken Timmerman, my broadcast partner that looks at geopolitical activities. So we're heard across the central part of the United States and, of course, all across America with our network and around the world on the Internet. So let me go to, I think, a key question to begin our discussion An Iranian commander has outlined a plan to defeat world powers, going to go after America, go after Israel and all of their allies. Is this braggadocio, or are they really getting ready to do this? Well, what's interesting, Jimmy, is that Hossein Salami, who is a top commander in the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps, is, in fact, he's the number two in the, after Jafar, uh, he is basically saying what the Iranians have been saying for many, many years, but more openly, more clearly, uh, more outspokenly, if you wish. He's saying that we have, not just are we going to defeat uh, the world powers, starting with the United States and Israel, but we have a plan for it, and we are going to be guided by our determination to wage jihad. So he makes very clear uh, in this statement, uh, which was a public statement this past week, that Iran is going to base itself on the Islamic notion of jihad to defeat the United States, to defeat Israel. It will not be a 
small war. It won't even be a regional war, but a war that is waged worldwide. Now, do the Iranians have the capabilities to do this? The only weapon that they have that would give them the ability of defeating the United States is a nuclear-armed EMP missile. In other words, a strike against the United States power grid that would take out our electric power. Do the Iranians actually have that capability? We don't know. They've not demonstrated it, but we do know that they have been working on it. We do know that they have exploded missiles in a EMP trajectory. We do know that this is part of their strategy. So the unknown here, Jimmy, is whether they actually have the capability, but we do know that they have the intention of destroying it. It's a big deal. And as it relates to Israel, we do know also that they have a number of forces there right at Israel's northern border in the state of Syria, which brings me then to the next point. What about the Revolutionary Guard? That's the arm of the uh, military, the elite military in Iran, went into Syria, basically almost kidnapped Bashar Assad. The president took him to Iran for discussions. Russia a little upset about that. What do we know about that situation? Well, this is a fascinating report. It comes from the Debka uh, website. This is an Israeli website, which is very close to the military and intelligence community, Is often has excellent information. Uh, sometimes it's not so good, but Here's what they're offering up as proof for this. Assad appears suddenly in Tehran 10 days ago. Nobody seems to be aware that he's coming. The Russians weren't notified. President Rouhani of Iran was surprised when he showed up at his doorstep. And apparently uh, the meeting was really set up between Assad and the supreme leader, Ayatollah Khamenei. He arrives in Iran, Assad arrives in Iran on an Iranian military plane, not a Syrian plane, and he has no advisors with him. So I think when you put all these things combined, uh, you put them together, it really does look like the Revolutionary Guards uh, who accompanied him from Damascus to Tehran on their aircraft, and whose leader, Qasem Soleimani, the head of the Quds Force, was with Assad wherever he went in Tehran, it really looks like... They scooped him up from Damascus and presented him uh, in Tehran so he could essentially kiss the ring of the Ayatollah. An amazing, an amazing, and arrogant feat on the part of the uh, Revolutionary Guards Corps. I love that phrase, kiss the ring of the Ayatollah. Is it going to have ramifications with uh, the other partners in the Middle East, like the Hezbollah over there in Lebanon and Russia and the others that are Turkey right there in Syria? Well, I think in particular, this has missed the Russians. The Russians were not notified that Assad was going to Tehran. And they kind of said, all right, well, if the Iranians are going to be playing this kind of game, we're going to bring... Bibi Netanyahu <laughs> to Moscow, which they did uh, a couple of days later. And, and Netanyahu met with Putin. He had extensive talks with Lavrov. Lavrov had been meeting with the Palestinians. And now they say, okay, we are now, go- we in Russia are now going to be more sympathetic to Israel's goal of forcing Iran out of Syria, forcing Iran to abandon its military positions in Syria. So interestingly, this all could have backfired for the Iranians, and their power play with Assad might have angered the Russians just enough to get the Russians to uh, be willing to discuss with 
uh, Israel about getting Iran out of Syria. Why is that important? Because obviously the Iranian forces in Syria are right on Israel's doorstep, poised to take military action against Israel or even to invade. By the way, that meeting that you're just talking about between Putin and Netanyahu, uh, they had a lot to talk about as it relates to trying to get these foreign forces out of Syria. They seem to break some new ground for both of them as it relates to this very interesting development, would you not say? Well, that's right. And, and again, we are trying to read the tea leaves here, kind of like Kremlinology during the Cold War. We're trying to figure out what Putin is thinking. One day, Putin seems to be throwing his lot in with the Iranians and supporting the Iranians in Syria against Israel, as he's been doing since last September after that aircraft was shot down, the Russian aircraft was shot down by a Syrian air defense missile. We've talked about that on this program. And then the next day, or a month later, he seems to switch around and be supporting Israel. In addition to this meeting, these meetings that we've just been talking about, the Russians are also offering Israel to broker a summit meeting between Netanyahu and the Palestinian president, president Mahmoud Abbas, in Moscow. Now, of course, the Russians want to insert themselves. They want to be the power players here. They want to show that they can do something that the, that the United States cannot do. And I don't know at this point whether they will succeed. But this is what we've been doing here. We are really trying to read into Putin's mind. And Putin seems to change his mind pretty frequently. <laughs> You know, that is the concern that many world leaders may have. I would wonder what uh, Taya Berdowan is thinking about that getting together in Russia between uh, Netanyahu and Mahmoud Abbas. Well, we're going to have to wait and see on that, and we'll stay on top of that story with you, Ken, as well. In fact, Iran, I think they're trying to make a preemptive strike here, not literally in the air or on the ground, but they are telling Israel they better be ready for a far bigger threat from within themselves and not necessarily externally. I guess they're talking about the Palestinian situation. Right. The Iranians are warning about you know discontent uh, in the Palestinian communities uh, that could turn into an armed revolt there. They're, they're warning about what they see as popular discontent uh, inside other Arab countries, in Egypt, in the UAE, and Saudi Arabia. But on this score, I think they're really projecting a little bit too far. They're trying to find blame for their own weakness in other countries. And Iran right now is really being challenged, uh, really being squeezed by the United States in terms of its currency, which is way devalued, inflation, which is way up, its oil sales, which are suffering, which are going down. And just this past week, the U.S. Uh, called them out yet again by sanctioning, putting on the terrorist list, an Iranian-backed militia in Iraq called the al-Nujaba Front. And they called them out for supporting terrorist operations. So I think this is the Iranians projecting their own weakness on other countries, which they do pretty frequently. That's the voice of Ken Timmerman, and he is a broadcast partner par excellence. We need him at these microphones every single week, and that's evidenced by the fact that we just had a unbelievable, insightful conversation together. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. Always a pleasure. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Temporary Studios in Peoria, Illinois. Now, we were in Peoria this last week. This coming Sunday, we're going to be over in Eureka, Illinois, at the Liberty Bible Church, Tom Zobrist. And by the way, you know who Tom's son is? It's Ben Zobris. He plays for the Chicago Cubs. And everybody's a Cub fan in this part of the world. I don't know if he's going to be at the church service on Sunday when we have our one-day prophecy conference, but we'd love to invite you to come over and join us. That's in Eureka, Illinois, Liberty Bible Church. The services start in the morning and will begin at 9.15, combined Sunday school, 10.30 for the morning service, 6 p.m. in the evening with a Q&A prior to the evening service. And then they're having a pastor's conference. That'll be on Monday morning, and I'll be speaking at the 10 o'clock hour and the 11 o'clock hour. 10 o'clock, we're going to be studying the last words from Jesus Christ to the church, Revelation 2 and 3, and then I'll have a Middle East news update in the Q&A in the second half hour. Love to have you come. You may see a Chicago Cubs ball player, Ben Zobris, who is the son of the pastor, Tom Zobris. Looking forward to seeing you there at Liberty Bible Church. All right, let's get to David Dolan. We promised he'd come here with the Middle East News Update. He's here. David, let me talk to you about Alaksa TV. It says on this week's telecast, before it was destroyed by an Israeli jet, death to the Israelis and then turned them into body parts and then roast them. 
Well, they were wiped out by an Israeli jet. They moved to another location, back on the air, broadcasting again. But boy, that's just evidence of how Israel is in a war for their life, a battle for life itself with their enemies, the Palestinian radicals. Well, yes, Jimmy, there is a lot of activity in and around the Gaza Strip this week, one of them being, as you said, the Israeli destruction of the official Hamas TV channel. It's been broadcasting this sort of trash and nonsense for some time now, but it's been getting worse again in recent weeks as the violence along the border has been getting worse. Israeli soldiers being shot at now from inside of Gaza as opposed to just being hit with rocks and bottles uh, up until now. Other things going on, a rocket was fired into Israel Wednesday night from the Gaza Strip, intercepted by Israeli forces. So a very bad situation, Jimmy. But, you know, um, Palestinian Media Watch and different groups have been telling us all along that these outlets are doing this. It's not really news. But Prime Minister Netanyahu went down to the Gaza Strip, and there were some attacks right afterwards. Israeli tanks had to return fire after some more balloons, incendiary devices on balloons were sent over. A couple exploded near some Israeli homes. And the prime minister, in, a, of course, a political race, uh, talking real tough, he said, we're ready to go to full war if we have to against Hamas. And he said this TV channel is a terrorist outlet. We've declared it as such, and we won't allow it to keep broadcasting. But as you said, they went back on the air from a different location, but presumably the Israelis will go back in and strike that, too. So looking more and more like we're going to have a full conflict uh, down there on the Gaza Strip area. Well, I wanted to ask you about that, David. Do you think that conflict could possibly really break out into a full war before the Israeli elections? Well, if the Palestinians continue to incite the way they've uh, been doing it, uh, well, could, Jimmy. We do have reports that Egypt is again trying to mediate a ceasefire or a calming But Hamas has definitely stepped up its activities. There's nightly protests, quote-unquote, going on along the border. And as I said, they're now shooting, uh, using weapons to shoot at Israeli forces uh, on the Israeli side of the fence. That's stepping it up. And these incendiary devices, they had stopped those for several months. Now that's happening again. So, yes, the Israeli army last week had a full, unannounced drill, quote-unquote, right along the border, showing that they're ready to go in if ordered to do so. And again, the prime minister needs to look tough. People down along the Gaza Strip, Israelis, are complaining this going on and on, rushing to their bomb shelters again Wednesday night throughout the area, that they can't live like this. And I think the prime minister probably regrets he didn't do this a year ago, when all this started, a year ago, March, this violence started. Now it's right at election time, less than a month away, and he may be forced to take action. The problem being, many on the left will probably say it's a wag-the-dog situation. He's just trying to strengthen himself politically and that this conflict isn't necessary. Well, it becomes necessary if Hamas keeps attacking. And, of course, we had the Syrians this week saying that they're going to attack Israel on the Golan Heights unless Israel gets out of the Golan Heights. So... We're hearing war rhetoric all around, and it may just be inevitable that it comes whether or not, and I can tell you the prime minister does not want this before the election, but may have no choice but to respond. What about this report coming out of Russia? They want to host Netanyahu and Mahmoud Abbas. Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, of course, Netanyahu, the prime minister. They want to host them for peace talks in Russia. Do you think that'll ever come about? And would Netanyahu go? 
Well, Jimmy, like I said last week, uh, you mentioned the European Union possibly stepping into the peace role, and I mentioned the Palestinians are saying the U.S. is now totally uncredible and they don't trust U.S. mediation at all, so they won't sit down and even discuss this peace plan that President Trump's going to reveal. So others are stepping in, and uh, Vladimir Putin, he's been increasing his activity throughout the Middle East with the Saudis, with the Egyptians, some of our other allies making some noises towards Jordan. And yes, the Palestinians say the Russians could be uh, a negotiator here. Of course, as I've been saying for several years, the chances of a peace program right now taking any form are nearly zero, uh, mainly because of Iran and all the things they're doing. Abbas has been in Iraq all week and not even in the area, and uh, the president of Syria was, quote, escorted over to Iran to meet with Ayatollah Khamenei against his will. Basically, he was taken over there to be told that uh, Syria will remain a vassal state of Iran. So with all that going on, Jimmy, there's just no way the Palestinian conflict's going to settle down, and uh, the Russians can try and others, but it's, it's not going to go very far. Well, even the U.S. peace plan put forward by Donald Trump and his son-in-law, Kushner, I don't think it's going to go, according to a report coming out from a Saudi reporter, a Saudi journalist, he said that uh, the plan calls for Jerusalem to be divided. That's an absolute non-starter for the Israelis, is it not? It is, Jimmy, but we're getting confused reports on that, so I think we we can't really say what it's going to say. I think the most credible reports don't redivide it, but they do give the Palestinians some autonomy in the Arab neighborhoods. Now, that would be a non-starter for Prime Minister Netanyahu, for sure, and I think for the opposition leaders as well. So I, I just don't see it happening anywhere, and Gerald Kirshner's working hard, but it mostly, as I mentioned last week, seems to be a financial package of aid that would be offered not just to the Palestinians, but to Jordan, to other regional uh, actors in the in the area, and throw enough money at it, maybe it will resolve. But that's been tried before, Jimmy, and didn't go anywhere, and I really don't see it happening now. So your ultimate bottom line is that this peace process and all the talking, either from the European Union, Russia, or the United States, is mostly a waste of time. Well, basically, Jimmy, I mean, the the Palestinians are so disunified amongst themselves in the peace plan, and uh, Kirshner did say this uh, himself, that it calls for them to be united, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip under one leadership. Well, as I mentioned last week, they've been trying themselves to get together for years, and they can't do it. Hamas is clearly still on the warpath, doesn't want to see a Jewish state, doesn't want to participate in any peace program. They condemn the Oslo peace process, and they still control the Gaza Strip. So unless we have a major war and they're uh, taken out of there, that part of the of the equation isn't going to get done. So there's just a lot of reasons to say that this is basically a waste of time, but pretty much every administration, John Kerry tried, Hillary Clinton tried, under President uh, George W. Bush, there were attempts. This has been going on for some time, and again, the Palestinians themselves are just nowhere near ready to make a final peace with Israel until they resolve that internal dispute between the two main factions. There's nothing else that's going to happen. You think they're going to be able to resolve that in the near future? I don't know. The Hamas group is determined to see Israel destroyed. That is their religious-based 
conviction, ideology. It's not going to change because $30 billion comes their way, if that were to even happen, whether Congress would even approve such sums as part of this peace process uh, seems questionable as well. But uh, no, it's it's not. And the, and the PLO themselves, the PA, remain very hostile towards the Jewish people in the Jewish state, really, even though they have an informal peace treaty with Israel. There is security cooperation. We're glad for that. But apart from that, not much love lost there, Jimmy. They just don't want to see a Jewish state in their midst. It's a religious conviction, and it uh, doesn't seem like they're going to give it up. David Dolan is our broadcast partner. He's not brand new to journalism. He's been over 35 years there in the Middle East, worked for CBS, longtime journalist, great insight. That's why we bring him to this broadcast table every week. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. Winky Madad standing by. We're going to talk about the possibility of a synagogue on the Temple Mount. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today, everybody. Again, here on location in Peoria, Illinois. This is where my temporary studio is set up. Now, I'm going to be in Eureka starting Sunday, Sunday all day, and then Monday morning over at the Liberty Bible Church in Eureka, Illinois. It's going to be a great opportunity. Tom Zobrist is the man who is pastor there. And uh, he is going to welcome each and every one of you for a one-day prophecy conference. And let me just explain why Monday morning. They're going to have a conference of pastors from the Illinois area, the IFCA pastors. They're going to come over. They're going to have their business meeting. And then we get that battle over (laughs) at a business meeting. Uh, They've asked me to have two sessions. I'm going to be speaking in one, teaching. And we'll do that from the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Very practical, prophetic teaching there. And then we're going to have an opportunity to open up for Q&A. Any prophecy question you might want to ask, it'll be available at that time. So come and join us all day Sunday. And then on Monday morning, 10 and 11 will be the sessions there. On Sunday, it will be... A 9.15, a combined Sunday school class, 10.30 and 6 p.m. in the evening with Prophecy Q&A prior to the evening service. Well, as promised, we're going to go to Winky Madad. 
Seems like we're talking with Winky often, but he has some very important statements to give us about a couple of issues that are key. And Winky, uh, I know in your blog you wrote about putting a synagogue up on the Temple Mount. We'll get to that in a moment. But I understand that the Israelis and the Jordanians held a meeting on the middle of the week for the purpose of trying to pull together and work out this conflict that's uh, taking place on the Temple Mount uh, about a mosque and or a synagogue up on the Temple Mount. What do we know about that meeting? Anything come out of it, or did it really come apart because they couldn't agree on anything? Well, Jimmy, we're waiting actually for the interference to take place from the Hamas, who are now trying to, uh, shall I say, piggyback even though Islam does not tolerate pigs, but it's just a <laughs> phrase, on what has broken out here. Uh, let's back up a little bit. For over 15 years or so, the gate, which is known in English, I think, is the Golden Gate for most of us. In Hebrew, it's also called the Gate of Mercy, and that's how it's been translated into Arabic, has been closed because the chambers, a wonderful Byzantine structure built before the Arabs Arab Muslims had conquered the Temple Mount, and Jerusalem, of course, back in 638 of the Common Era. They were using it first as a school or as for some sort of instruction, and then uh, we found out that Hamas was using it for clandestine uh, activities, which were defined as terror, and it was shut. And all of a sudden now, out of the blue, I can maybe even think that they were trying to figure out how could we make a disturbance. They broke the gate down the steps, broke or open the uh, locks, and now they've turned it into a mosque, bringing in all sorts of prayer rugs and all sorts of things like that. Israel has not been, when I say Israel, I'm talking about the governs of Israel, has not been strong enough to deal with it immediately. Jordan has jumped in because they say that we have a new Waqf Council, which has both Palestinian Authority members on it as, long, as well as Jordanian officials, and uh, the long and the short of it together is that they're trying to disturb as much as possible the peace and to make a change in the status quo. So that's the background uh, for the issue. As for the synagogue, there are, in my opinion, and you mentioned my blog, several alternative sites of an out-of-the-way synagogue so that we could begin the process of coexistence and having two religions, if not three religions, having their believers pray at the Temple Mount, which, as you and I know, and I think most of the listening audience, has been prophesied that all nations will come to the Temple Mount and pray. And God says, my house should be a prayer for all peoples. That would be the best way for, for people to get together. It might even lead to a breakout of peace. That would be amazing if that was to happen, and ultimately, when the Messiah comes, the Prince of Peace, according to Isaiah, there will be peace at that particular piece of real estate. Well, we were both talking about your blog. I want you to tell everybody how, if they would like to get your blog or go to it, maybe they could do that. But also, talk to me, is this the place, I got your most recent blog, and then you sent me a copy of a blog that you put out about five years ago that was calling for a synagogue on the Temple Mount. Best I can understand, you're the very first one that started suggesting this 
and I'm excited about that possibility. Now, tell everybody how they can get your blog, and then tell them what you believe. Would it be the same location there at the Golden Gate or the Eastern Gate that you want to put up the synagogue? Well, Jimmy, my blog is, in one word, my right word, M-Y-R-A-G-H-T-W-O-R-D, and then put in Yisrael Medad, M-E-D-A-D, and that should come up. I think the full URL is my right word at blogspot.com, but that will get you to it. I've been trying over the years, Jimmy, uh, probably maybe one of the reasons why you have me on the program, to find alternative, less explosive or controversial ideas of how to slowly, incrementally take over and back the Temple Mount the way it was and should be with all the uh, things that I've said before, including everybody praying up there, and uh, not the exclusive Muslim uh, status quo, so-called, in which also Christians can't walk around with the Bible. They'll get uh, knocked around also. One of the locations I had was closer to the what we call the Mugrabi Gate, just the, the, the main gate where all the tourists go up, just on the left. There's a building there that we could break down a wall, put up some heavy perspex, and no one would know who's behind it. And then the other site, the two sites, uh, either that gate which we just spoke of, the, the Golden Gate, the Gate of Mercy, is down, uh, must be about at least 30 to 40 feet lower than the level of the Temple Mount. You have to walk about 20 or 30 steps to get down there, and it's way off on the side. There's another small building also on the northeast of the Temple Mount compound, uh, which would be quite unobtrusive. Nobody would be dancing around or interfering with any of the Muslim prayer. And I just thought that these would be good ideas to begin to uh, to, to check the situation, how we could move uh, further. Winky, after the Six-Day War, there was a agreement made between Jordan and Israel that the Jordanians would have an Islamic trust, referred to as the Waqf, W-A-Q-F, they would have custodial responsibilities up on the Temple Mount. I know they have some brand new members, as you were mentioning, a part of that Islamic trust. Would they allow for a synagogue on the Temple Mount? Jimmy, I don't think so. They, unfortunately, view the Temple Mount compound as exclusively theirs. Mahmoud Abbas, who himself is not a religious figure, has said Jewish feet defile and desecrate the Temple Mount. They are very extreme in their position, and no one calls them out on it. Uh, No one says, listen, it's a Temple Mount compound. No one's going into your buildings and mosques. Uh, And they've built three new ones, Jimmy, since 1967. You've been up there. You know the ones in what we call Solomon Stables, uh, etc. So they've changed the status quo constantly, and uh, we're left still back in 1967 uh, with no chance of uh, gaining any sort of uh, religious rights, the right of uh, freedom of access, which have actually been written into the Israel-Jordan Peace Treaty, Article 9. You can look that up also. Uh, And uh, it's very difficult because they view that as a major struggle location, and they go all out interfere with everybody. Uh, We have films uh, from a day or two ago screaming and yelling all sorts of chants in order to interfere, with even with just walking around, not even doing anything, which is what we're only allowed to do, as if we're tourists. 
And uh, it's quite unfortunate because it breaks people apart rather than bringing people together. Yes, that uh, could be remedied if they would simply move ahead with your plan. Now, talk to me, though, if the WAF would ultimately give in and allow a synagogue up there, would the prime minister allow it and call for it to happen? I would think so. Uh, He's been holding back because basically anything that we do is seen as a provocation, as a violation, uh, war crime. Either they use the language to the extreme in the most strident faction, fashion. I, I think we've mentioned several times uh, the idea back in 2015 of surveillance cameras, and that didn't go anywhere very far. That, was, that would serve everybody to see who's starting uh, riots and who's pushing whom. Therefore, no one would be able to blame anybody for what they're not doing. But uh, they're obstructionists in this manner, and it's very, very uh, difficult and very, very sad, actually. Well, we'll stay on top of this story with Winky Madad. I hope it's simply not wishful thinking, but there will be a synagogue and ultimately a temple up on that Temple Mount area. A couple of other items I want to look at with you very quickly, Winky. You're on top of most everything. Israel Ariel, in an article that we put on our website, prophecytoday.com, a news item, uh, mentioned that there were two red heifers that had been born at the end of 2018. They're now in a secluded location in the Negev Desert. They're watching them and seeing if they're going to mature properly to be used at the presentation of the red heifer for the cleansing of the temple and those who will serve in the temple. That's interesting because the red heifer is key to the rebuilding of that temple on the Temple Mount, is it not? It is key because that's the main, shall we say, barrier uh, that rabbinical considerations to the building of the temple and to the uh, Temple Mount service because according to Jewish uh, ritual law, because of contact with the dead, and we say that there are graves all over the place, so even if we haven't touched a, a deceased person, we're walking over graves, makes it, everybody impure from a ritual point of view. But the Bible did say there's one solution to that, and that would be the red heifer with ashes and uh, The whole ceremony, I think, is written out there in the book of uh, Leviticus, if I'm not mistaken. But it's been very difficult because uh, it has to be what we call brownish-red. That's red heifer comes from. It's more brownish-red, sort of. And uh, no more than two of the hairs are allowed to be of a different color. Three, and we lose it. And we've had heifers born previously, and they've matured to the proper age, but we've lost them because of additional distinctive coloring, which has had been altered as they grow older. So, again, I guess I'd have to hope for it, but on the basis of previous history, it's a dicey sort of waiting period. Uh, but who knows? Uh, one of these days, God is going to say uh, uh, it's time, and we will have the red heifer. I hate to have to correct my good friend Wiki Madad on his study of the Torah, but it's not in Leviticus. It's the book of Numbers, chapter 19, the ordinance of the red heifer. 
And it's a great, great study. You need to dig in to study that a bit more. Well, one more final update, if you will. What's the latest on the elections and the indictment, uh, the possible indictment for the prime minister? How's that all coming? Jimmy, my feeling is that the indictment has just gone by the by, as, as we say. We're moving on on all sorts of issues. Uh, I think the last time we discussed it, I, I pointed out that the indictment will not be presented until there's a special interview, and that's going to take months. So that's it. I mean, Mr. Netanyahu is just moving on with it. The recent polls are bringing the Likud way back up again, uh, indicating that he has been successful in uh, promoting his view of how those indictments or possible indictments uh, should be considered. Uh, the more uh, the uh, blue-white faction speaks, they're getting more problematic in their uh, approach to the uh, to the public. Even though there's about 35 or so days left, uh, we still got a lot more time. Uh, it's still moving up and down. I would say the bottom line: it's still very fluid. Still very fluid, and we'll stay for sure on top of that story as well. And we'll most likely do it with Winky Midad. He knows the political arena. Winky, thank you for this update. I hope the people will call you or get a hold of your blog and find the address and start receiving it. You have some great stuff on there. Appreciate it. And thank you for interacting with us on these couple of issues today. Jimmy, thank you for having me on. Thank you for correcting my misquotation from the Bible. (laughs) And uh, goodbye to you and our listeners. What a very interesting conversation with Winky Madad giving us an update. And by the way, our own guy, our broadcast partner, Winky Madad, the one suggesting that they put a Jewish synagogue up on the Temple Mount. And then his update on the red heifer and the importance in preparations for the next temple. We'll stay on top of that story with you. All right, let's go to John Root. We've just covered the Middle East, but a very important region of the world, in addition to the Middle East, of course, would be the European Union and all the activities there politically that set the stage prophetically for things that are going to happen in the future. Our guy is John Root, and John, let me begin right away with the lead news story that I see coming out of that area of the world Iran's top leader is warning against trusting the European Union on the nuclear deal that they're trying to continue, the one that President Trump pulled out of, the one that was put together by the Obama administration. What's happening there in the European Union? Are they still eager to keep that deal together, or what's going on? Iran, in this particular deal, is seeing that their back is up against the wall, that the European Union has been pressured, especially by the United States. So they're trying to come out with the usual uh, accusatory tone. So they're saying that the European Union is not dependable to Iran. And, and just to add to it, they're saying that the 2015 agreement, which is trying to be kept, even that by itself is, is not enough. The biggest pressure that we should note on Iran is the inflation. This is probably doing more than just individual sanctions. So the annual inflation rate in Iran now is essentially 40% annually. And uh, this is where they're feeling the most pain, and this will probably be what moves through various agreements. 
the EU has been uh, appeasing through a sort of barter system to bypass the sanctions. But the, uh, the real thing that Iran is feeling now is their inflation. And that is probably going to be a major play in how they continue to deal, I'm sure, with the European Union. Well, let's go now to a member of the European Union. That would be France. The president there, Macron, has made a real plea for the European Union to lay out and lay down some battle lines for the upcoming election in May. This May election is key for the European Union, is it not? Yes, more than ever any other time before, we see the stresses in Europe. It doesn't even see how it can exist as we know it today, looking several years out because of the disintegration. Uh, This is sort of a strength in Europe speech, I call it, that the French President Macron has given uh, in a printed form, went out to all the 28 nation capitals and so forth, and it's a call in a critical time before the European Parliament elections, before the Brexit votes that are upon us. There's more pressure. The Estonian elections last week, uh, the Eurosceptic Party doubled their presentation now to 18%. So Macron has has not been popular in France, and yet the European Union wants to use him sort of as a unifying factor It's really too little, too late. But the biggest quote from this printed form that I thought was very notable is is requesting for the voters to reject nationalism or the populist parties or the Eurosceptic parties. And he writes that, quote, Europe is not the nation state that unites, frees, and protects us. Well, it's this type of it's this type of thinking and comment that the people object to. They don't want to be ruled by Europe. And so it's making a decision. You take the sovereignty of the central core of the European Union, or you choose your nation state. Well, he's making these speeches, writing these papers, but there's not really a lot of people that want to hear what he has to say, are there? Exactly. Exactly. It's too little, too late. What, in fact, do you think is he trying to do? I know that Angela Merkel not going to run again. She's been somewhat of a major leader in the European Union. I know Donald Tusk is the is the man who is the chairman of uh, the 28 member states right now. But with Merkel gone, is Macron trying to become the strongest force in the European Union? I believe so. You know, he's done a lot of travel in the last couple of years. He's been to 19 European countries, and he's trying to prevent him, uh, present himself as a unifying factor. This particular writing came out with uh, creating a European agency for the protection of democracies, a European border force, a European climate bank. There was also a European intelligence agency that would work between processing uh, information between themselves. But this doesn't sound like something that should be coming from one president of one country that having their own great struggle. That just shows how the European Union is so deficit in leadership and democracy. John, tell me what's going on in Italy. It looks like they are maybe considering the possibility of trying to get out of the EU itself as well. Uh, France and Italy, as we've covered, has had great dresses. Some of the Italian leadership, the politicians have come out uh, showing their support for the French protesters. 
Brussels and Italy are very divided because now there's Eurosceptic parties, a coalition that's running Italy. It's a mix between the Five Star Movement and the Lega Party. Italy, of course, is no newcomer to having numerous governments, and um, this is another situation now that's come upon. Very interesting is that the actual prime minister of Italy, Giuseppe Conte, there was a poll saying 16% of the people considered him the leader of the country. Only 16%. And then the deputy prime minister, uh, who's in the news or with some of these statements, Matteo Salvini, uh, 58% of the country says that he's uh, Italy's real leader. So imagine a situation where the prime minister is not considered the leader and the deputy prime minister is considered the leader. It's very different. So there's a lot of uncertainty in Italy these days. Yes, absolutely. And uh, the old saying, everything rises and falls on leadership, that's key there in Italy right now. Well, I guess the Brexit situation that's going on in Great Britain has caused these other member states in the European Union to consider withdrawing as well. However, I'm not sure that uh, Great Britain's going to be able to exit the European Union. If they vote upcoming next week, that Prime Minister May is putting forth, if it fails, it looks like uh, that Great Britain will not be able to withdraw. What do you know about this? Here we are two, more than two years since the original Brexit vote, and everything's culminating in this month. March 12, we have the, the United Kingdom Parliament voting on the next withdrawal deal. They're expecting this to lose by up to 100 votes. Then the next day, March 13, would be the Parliament vote for a, a no-deal Brexit, if that's acceptable. Then the March 14th is another Parliament vote that would be scheduled, saying, can there be a delay in Brexit? So there's so much uncertainty coming up with these particular votes. It appears to be a complete impasse and failure, the issues with Northern Ireland, then there's uh, uh, things that are happening now with the economics, uh, real estate. But the whole situation now is coming to this, this point that the European Union unknowingly is giving a precedent how you leave the European Union. It could have been done another way, but honestly, this is what we would have expected from two years ago. It's very, very difficult to leave the European Union. Now we'll see an exact procedure that it can be done. But these votes are very critical. We'll see if a no deal is accepted. That's a possibility. Stay tuned, folks. We'll have our broadcast partner, John Rood, on top of this story. We want to come to a conclusion as far as Brexit is concerned, because it plays a key role. It's a political activity playing a key role, setting the prophetic scenario in place there in the European Union. Armed broadcast partner John Rood will be on top of this story, so you need to join us again each and every week, as John does, coming to this broadcast table to give us insight in what's happening there in the European Union. John, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll have a lot to talk about when we get together next week. Thank you, Jimmy. It's very important everyone be aware of these scenarios.
Great information coming from John Root, our broadcast partner, who actually has responsibility of staying focused on the European Union. They are a major player in the end-time scenario that is found in God's Word, the European Union, the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Well, right now, here in our studios would be Jim Jr., our oldest son. He's getting ready to go to Israel. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you know, Jim Jr. is key for this broadcast. Oh, I can ask the questions. I can talk about this and that. But when in reality, we come to the conclusion of the broadcast, it has to be put together so that I sound like somebody really good. And that's exactly what Jim Jr. does. Jim, I want to thank you for helping your old dad sound pretty good as you edit everything and make this program come together. Uh, Dad, it's one of the greatest pleasures of my life is to do this program and get the words out to the people that need them. Now, I said just a moment ago, you're headed off to Israel. That's going to be an exciting trip. you got a group of people from America that you're taking over there to visit the lands of the Bible, huh? We sure do, Dad. It's a great time to be there. You know, in February, the numbers just came out. 342,000 tourists went to Israel. It seems to be the place to be. And I really believe not only to see him walk in the footsteps of Jesus and to see his ministry or where he did his ministry for the 33 years of his life, but also to understand God's plan for the Jewish people, not only in the past, but today and in the future. Yeah, you just mentioned past, present, and future, buddy. Well, that's what you saw those people when you go to Israel. You can stand there and look at Israel past, touch Israel present, visualize Israel future. That is really neat. Jim, are you concerned at all about your safety and the group that's going with you? No, as we always say, Dad, if we can get them through New York City, they'll be just fine in Israel. Yes, that is an absolute. Well, we're going to be praying for you and your brother, Rick, as you take the group over. We'll be talking to you while you're over there. We know you'll have a great trip. Thank you for all the work you do for this broadcast. It's an honor, Dad. You're a great son. Appreciate it, buddy. Hey, we're going to take a break. When I come back, we've got David James standing by, plus some other information on the other side in the last half hour of Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to my last half hour here on Prophecy Today Weekend. We're here in Temporary Studios in Peoria, Illinois. We were in a meeting this last weekend. This weekend, we're going to be down the road in Eureka, Illinois, at the Liberty Bible Church. The pastor there, Tom Zobrist, He's the father of Ben Zobris. He plays for the Chicago Cubs, and if he's there, I'm going to see if I can get his autograph. Well, it's going to be a great time. People will be able to study the Word of God, prophetic Word of God, helping us to understand the times in which we're living. Love to have you come. Sunday morning, we'll be speaking at 9.15, then at 10.30, and at 6 p.m. Sunday evening with a prophecy Q&A before On Monday morning, they're going to have a pastor's conference. I'll be speaking at the 10 o'clock hour, looking at Revelation 2 and 3, the last words from Jesus Christ to the church, and then we'll take at the 11 o'clock hour an opportunity to give you a Middle East news update and answer some prophecy questions. Hey, how about answering my poll question? If you will, go to my homepage, prophecytoday.com, on the left-hand column of 
of the homepage, scroll down, you'll find the poll question for this week. Here it is. This week, the Iranians kidnapped Syrian President Assad and took him to Tehran. They also warned the European Union about the Iranian nuclear treaty, and they set plans in place to defeat all world powers and set up a worldwide caliphate, a kingdom. This sounds like the prophetic scenario that's found in the Bible for Iran. Could we be close to the fulfillment of that Bible prophecy? That's the poll question. Go to my website, answer that question. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a conversation every week that is key for you to understand from a biblical perspective an issue that we will be discussing. And we're going to do the same thing this week. So glad you could join us. Stay tuned for the next 15 minutes or so, and we'll give you some very important information. David, uh, we last talked about the abortion issue the week of the New York State passing of the Reproductive Health Act back in January. That's right, and it has continued to be a very serious problem. And as I've watched things happen on social media and people talking about it, This has really riled people up more than anything I've seen before. Uh, It was actually signed into law in January, like you said, and it was actually signed into law on the 46th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision. One of the most troubling things about it is how far it pushes legal abortion. The most controversial aspect of this RHA is the provision allowing abortion after 24 weeks in cases where there is an absence of fetal uh, viability or abortion is necessary to protect the patient's life or health. So that's a problematic all by itself, but they also removed criminal penalties that had been in place for decades and also placed this responsibility into the hands of nurses and other people who are in the medical profession, but no longer requires a doctor to be present. And over the last uh, month and a half since I've been following it, things continue to heat up and get worse day by day, I would say. Yeah, but although that's the case, the New York law received a lot of attention at the time. However, it seems to have been largely forgotten as a news item while an anti-abortion bill in Georgia seems to have received very little coverage at all. That's exactly right. As far as the uh, mainstream media is concerned, uh, the New York issue is basically now old news and nobody's talking about it. But I'm seeing regularly on Facebook people bringing up this this issue, especially among believers. And, And you're right. Just a couple of days ago, on Thursday, the Georgia House voted 93 to 73 to approve a bill that would outlaw most abortions once a doctor can detect a heartbeat in the womb. And so that measure would be among the most restrictive in the country. And abortion rights advocates have vowed to challenge this legislation if it actually becomes law. So it's not law yet, but it has come out of committee. And this really pushes back the time frame for abortion because a heartbeat can usually be detected in a woman's sixth week of pregnancy, whereas the current Georgia law allows abortions up to uh, 20 weeks. So this is a huge difference, and I think a move in the right direction. 
Absolutely. That is great information, great news coming out of Georgia. Well, most of you listening to the broadcast know that Judy and I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Our home base, our Prophecy Today International Headquarters, located in Chattanooga. And in the state of Tennessee, the House of Representatives just passed its own heartbeat law a couple of days ago. And the governor of Iowa, this is another bit of information, he signed a similar bill into law this last Friday. But really, David, this fight is far from being over, isn't it? Uh, That's exactly right. The uh, Tennessee bill was passed on Thursday, and again, it seems like everything is coming to a head around this fetal heartbeat act, and there have been a lot of states that have tried to put it into effect. And as you noted, this was also brought up in Iowa. The thing that I found out just recently is that a judge declared that Iowa fetal heartbeat law unconstitutional. So this is actually setting up for a nationwide debate, and I think each of these states are going to end up having to be forced to either federal courts and probably even ultimately to the Supreme Court. And I think it also is why New York passed their law back in January, I would say it was somewhat of a a cynical preemptive strike because President Trump has already put in two pro-life judges, and there could likely be one or two more uh, judges that he will replace during his tenure. So they're trying to get ahead, I think, of the Supreme Court. David, this is all great news, but uh, I have to say one of the things that really is bothering me is that there seems to be a reluctance by some Christian leaders to speak out against abortion. While preparing for today's program, you and I came up with the information, and it was brought to our attention that over a year ago, a well-known pastor missed a chance to condemn abortion on a national TV program. You're absolutely right. It came to my attention through an article on the Federalist Dot com, an article written by, based upon his last name, appears to be a, an ethnic Jew who, from what he wrote in the article, does seem to be a born-again believer. And the title of his article was Hillsong Pastor Carl Lentz Provides Moral Cover for Abortion on the View. Now, that name may not be familiar to a lot of our viewers, but Carl Lentz is a very well-known pastor of a Hillsong church, which is an extreme charismatic group out of Australia. And more recently, he's been known as actually being Justin Bieber's pastor and has had an influence in his life. And he pastors a church of about 7,000 people in New York City. And he was on The View a little over a year ago, and the host, Joy Behar, who is actually also an ethnic Jew, and as far as I know, not a believer, quite liberal in her views, uh, she asked him directly whether abortion is sinful, and his response was this. This is a quote from a YouTube video of that program. He said, that's the kind of conversation we would have finding out your story, where you're from, what you believe. I mean, God's the judge. At that point, the audience broke into applause. Then he went on to say people have to live their own convictions. That's such a broad question to me. I'm going higher. I want to sit with somebody and say, what do you believe? So here is a chance for someone who would 
claimed to be an evangelical, claimed to preach the gospel, and he abdicated his responsibility and his opportunity on national television. The View is very widely watched by probably millions of people every day, and he had the opportunity to take the biblical moral ground, and he chose not to do that and uh, to not be, quote-unquote, judgmental when he had a, a great opportunity and a platform to make a very strong statement. I would have to say I don't think he was being judgmental, but I can know for sure he was not being biblical when he answered the question. David, aren't there laws already on the books, even in the most liberal states, that can result in someone being charged with a a double homicide if they kill a woman who is pregnant? Absolutely. I mean, this goes out to California, where there was a law that was put into place in 2004. It's called Lacey and Connor's Law, where Scott Peterson was convicted of double homicide. People may not remember this, but we discussed this back at the beginning of February when we were talking about this issue. And this is the Unborn Victims of Violence Act of 2004, and it's a United States law which recognizes an embryo or a fetus in you as a legal victim if they are injured or killed during the commission of any of over 60 listed federal crimes and violence. So what this means is that the law actually gives personhood to someone who is still in the womb. So then the question becomes, when does that fetus or embryo become a human? You know, that's a very interesting question. must be answered, and the Word of God, I do believe, gives us direction in that area. I guess the bottom line question in this entire debate centers around when does life begin? And even though the heartbeat bills may be moving us in the right direction, the fact is that even those miss the point that abortion at any time is actually murder. Exactly right. Well, if you think about it, when does an embryo or a fetus gain personhood? And and so that would be when life begins. And if we think about it, when conception occurs, the DNA is in place. So at the genetic level, the DNA is in place. So there's no other place to put the beginning of life, but at conception, because that fetus, that baby, I would say that baby human, uh, possesses full human DNA, and that is what defines his humanity as someone who is made in the image of God, and God created DNA in order to establish the foundation of the human race. Well, the bottom line, the Word of God has a lot to say about The unborn, that makes it clear that they are fully human, made in the image of God. That's exactly right. I mean, we could go to many places in Scripture. Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Meaning that God had a design for every person's life from the moment of conception while they were in the womb. And if you go through different places in the Old and New Testament, if you think about Abraham's sons, record the children struggled within her in Genesis 25-22, so it calls the babies in the womb children. Luke refers to Elizabeth's baby with the exact same word, which is the Greek for son. So we see this over and over again in the Bible from beginning to end, and there are penalties even for injuring a woman in the Old Testament under the law 
because of injuring her, had a premature birth or a miscarriage. David, would you not agree that the incarnation of Jesus Christ, when Jesus, all God, became all man at his birth here on earth, that that should be one of the strongest arguments against anyone who claims to be a Christian being in favor of abortion? Absolutely. I think it is one of the strongest arguments for any Christian because the question is this, when did the eternal Son of God become human? And there is no other place to put it except at the point of conception when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and brought into human existence the eternal Son of God so that he became fully God, fully man, as you just said. There's no other place. You can't place it at his birth. You can't place it at 24 weeks. It happens. It has to be at the moment of conception. Absolute proof that abortion is murder and you're... I believe blaspheming God because each and every one of us made in the image of God himself. Great discussion. And David, we have to continue these types of discussions, bringing the biblical emphasis to all the issues that we discuss. And by the way, we'll have another discussion next week on another issue. So I'll be looking forward to seeing you then. Thanks, Jimmy. I always appreciate the opportunity. We're going to take a break. When we come back, all the issues we've talked about on the broadcast today, I'm going to open the Bible. We're going to compare what God's Word says about the future and what these issues have been talking about. We'll see the urgency of the moment. That's when I take a look at the book all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. 
on Prophecy Today weekend, we had broadcast partners in key locations around this world with key reports on key prophetic scenarios that are found in God's Word. Now, this, as we offer it now, a look at the book, is a service that we offer to our friends to keep you abreast of how God's plan for the future is being played out. You can listen to these reports, and by the way, be sure to tell a friend how they can do the exact same thing. They need to understand how current events around this world are putting in place a scenario that is found in God's Word that was written by the ancient Jewish prophets many, many years ago, helping us to understand the times of the return of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that is at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. But also, it gives us the urgency of the moment to know that rapture is about to happen, and in fact, could happen today. So we have these reports available for you and all those that you can pass them along to as well. For example, today we talked with Ken Timmerman. Ken looks at geopolitical activities for us. His main story was that an Iranian commander has outlined a plan to defeat world leaders. Well, that is a prophetic scenario that certainly is found in the Word of God. This Islamic plan would put in place a worldwide caliphate, an Islamic world kingdom, which is what their holy book, the Quran, calls for, and that's their plan. All the Islamic nations of the world wanting to play a role in that. Iran wants to use their minions across the world to help put that in place. They support many terrorist organizations in the United States, across the European Union, in the Middle East, and in fact around the world. That's how they'll be able to, they believe, defeat world leaders. They have the faith. They're ready to be suicide bombers. They want to give their life for Allah to accomplish His glory. That's why this report from Ken is so important for us to know about. David Olin had his Middle East News Update. That's a weekly service that we offer here on Prophecy Today. And David brought to our attention that Russia wants to host Prime Minister Netanyahu and President Mahmoud Abbas. Now, Netanyahu, of course, is the Prime Minister of Israel. Abbas is the president of the Palestinian Authority and the basic leader of the Palestinian people today. And President Putin of Russia wants them to come together for a peace conference in Russia. You know, there is a peace plan and God's future plan for the Jewish people. The question comes up, will it be the United States or Russia or the European Union? Well, we do not know. What we do know is there is going to be a pseudo-peace plan that will be put in place. That's Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, when the Antichrist will take those peace treaties already on the table. He will come on the scene and he will confirm those peace treaties. In other words, he'll make them work. And the Jewish people will be duped as well as the rest of the world that the Messiah has come back and he has put peace together for the entire world. That peace will be a short-term peace and a false peace from a false messiah. 
Mickey Bedard gave us more information about what's going on on the Temple Mount, the conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelis, as to whether there should be another mosque on the Temple Mount. If there is, that would be number five. But our broadcast partner, Winky Madad, in his blog, he suggested there should be a synagogue on the Temple Mount and there at the Golden Gate as well, where the Palestinians want their mosque. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2 says that Jerusalem will become a cup of trembling. That's an apocalyptic phrase, which means it will make those in control of Jerusalem intoxicating. The Temple Mount will be the center of controversy in the last days until Jesus Christ comes to rule and reign from that spot where he builds the temple, that sacred spot for the Jewish and Christian people, the Temple Mount. Temporarily, Muslims want that location for themselves. That is not going to happen if there is a synagogue on the Temple Mount. It's a preliminary to the fulfillment of a temple, ultimately being up there on that sacred spot. John Rood gave us information about Iran, who told the European Union they don't trust them as far as it relates to the Iranian nuclear deal. Remember, the European Union and Russia are basically enemies. The purpose for NATO was that NATO would help protect the European Union from the Russian military. Iran doesn't trust the European Union And I can understand why, but really, the European Union should not be trusting Iran. Both of these will be major players in that end-time scenario that unfolds during the tribulation period. Had a quick conversation with Jim Jr. about his trip, taking a group of people to Israel, to the lands of the Bible. You need to come and go along with us sometime in the future. And then David James and I talked about the issue of abortion and United States laws that are being superseded by state laws. Well, we need to understand this issue. It's a major issue of today. I believe it will be a major issue in the upcoming United States presidential election as well. Just remember Psalm 139. God says, I formed you in your mother's womb. I know all of your parts. And remember, the Bible says that we all are created in the image of God. If you destroy that image, that's blasphemy if you abort a person. Jeremiah 1.5, I believe, says that God had in his mind in eternity past who would come to life in the future from the mother's womb to birth and then into humankind itself. We must understand abortion is murder. You know, each of the items we reported on today plays into an end-of-day scenario that is found in God's Word. That's why we have these reports to alert you of the urgency of the moment. Next is that rapture of the church when Jesus shouts, Archangel shouts, Trump of God sounds, and we leave this earth to go into the heavenlies. These reports indicate that that rapture could happen at any moment even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.